think it starts with being an artist and creating the story. And then I think it's for me very important that it doesn't stop at the, you know, the museum piece or the one of a kind object, but that it's further developed. And then I think you need to become a designer, either a material designer or product designer, but that's more designing because it has more an application that you need to think about. Hey, welcome to Green Canvas. My name is Toby Carpenter, and this podcast is all about creative individuals helping to tackle the climate and environmental crisis through their work. We'll be talking to a wide range of creative practitioners, from designers working with sustainable materials to artists and photographers exploring global warming. We'll learn more about their work, how they use their skill sets for positive environmental change, and also what tips they have for you to utilize your own creativity and help the world build the sustainable future our planet needs. So stay tuned and I hope you enjoy and find Green Canvas useful. Our guest today is Ninka Hovliet, a designer, artist and founder of Studio Ninka Hovliet, which is a design studio for material research and experimental and conceptual design. At the centre of Ninka's work is a focus on materials that contribute to a more holistic world and raise awareness for the social and environmental issues in the textile, leather and food industry. Her projects have ranged from creating rugs out of sea algae to making household objects using recycled toilet paper to utilizing Calmera, a new bio-based raw material extracted from sludge granules, to create a kimono. Other projects include Re-Seamy, which employs discarded fish skins, a common waste product from the fishing industry in the Netherlands to create a leather, and Morn, a project that investigates the soil and groundwater pollution that exists around graveyards and ash scattering fields as a result of the waste substances our bodies release after we pass away. Ninka's work is exhibited worldwide, including in institutions like the Pompidou Centre in Paris, the Cooper Hewitt Design Museum in New York, and the V&A Museum in London. If you'd like to check out Ninka's work, we have a few links in the show description that take you to some of the projects we speak about in this episode. And so without further ado, here's our conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. I wanted to start with, you studied lifestyle and design at university. And I was wondering what made you choose this course and enter this field. And what were the main things you learned from this course that you were able to apply in what you're doing now? Well, I had a very wide inter- or broad interest in creativity, in fashion or interior or art. I was not really sure what to pick. <laughs> uh, and lifestyle and design, it was a very wide education. So we were taught how to photograph or how to Uh, come up with concepts or to work on textiles, uh, design products, but also visual merchandising. It was yeah a lot of different things, which was for me very helpful because I could find where my heart was really in which kind of area of design. And during my education, I learned I wanted to be a product designer uh, with a special interest for textiles. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, I think maybe in year three or four, I really started to focus on that. And uh, that's also when I learned I wanted to have my own design studio. You founded your studio right after you graduated. And I was interested in, in how did you form your studio because for for a lot of people it's quite difficult to form a studio right after graduating so I was quite interested in how how you formed that and especially because your your studio is quite a conceptually and research-based studio it's not commercially driven I was wondering how how were you able to fund it and what was the process of just forming that studio right after you graduated well I think it's just doing I mean, I just started and I thought, okay, um, I need to get my work out there. So I need to go to the Dutch Design Week to show 
my graduation projects that were the first, first projects that I showed in the, on the Dutch Design Week, but also on the Salone del Mobile in Milan. So I thought, yeah, that's, you know, how you get started. You need people to see your work and then something will happen, I guess. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it took me three years before I could, uh, sort of live off the work that I was doing before that I had side jobs and, uh, still finding funding for these research projects. It's quite difficult. We work a lot with, um, yeah, subsidies depends a bit on the project. Sometimes we work on commission, but our own, our own initiated projects are uh, often uh, funded with uh, subsidies from the government or from private funds and what were the the first projects you started doing when you first founded your studio and also you mentioned some of the projects you did for your graduation collection and what were they Uh, my graduation projects were uh, blankets that i made in the textile museum in the netherlands Uh, they have a lab where you can work as a designer uh, uh, to work really with industrial machines but then yeah on just a one type a one one off basically uh, so no need to start this whole production and that was about a vulnerability and a protection uh, so i made two blankets one for vulnerability uh, and one for protection well it was basically saying that we need to be vulnerable in order to get protection from people uh, so it was also i guess it was a, a project about society and how we f- we are getting more and more afraid of how to be vulnerable to each other. And um, while I think it's actually something we need to make a deeper connection, but it was not very related to sustainability yet. I think that one year after I founded my studio and after I graduated, I thought, okay, this is the moment to to work more on this research-based conceptual design. But it was quite scary. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) What sparked the the drive or the push to then start making designs or research around sustainability? Yeah, I've always been a very idealistic child already. When I I was seven, I became a vegetarian because I thought it was uh, poor for the animals um, or sad. Yeah, I was sad for the animals. I'm not a vegetarian anymore, but (laughs) when I was seven, I thought it very important. uh, And um, I always wanted to change the world. Uh, So I think, yeah, I'm an idealist. And I think in art school, I already learned that combining this with art is, yeah, it can be quite a strong tool to, to, you know, tell your story and to uh, raise awareness. But I was a bit afraid to do that uh, until, yeah, I started my own studio. And was it algae and seaweed that was the first material that you were drawn to when it comes to sustainability? Yes, that's true. Yeah. And how did that enter your life? How did seaweed and algae enter your life? (laughs) Well, I grew up uh, in The Hague. It's a city in the Netherlands close to the beach. So, uh, yeah, I think my connection to to the ocean started there. And especially during the storms, my parents took me to the beach to go there for walks. And then, um, I don't know, this feeling feeling of freedom when you're when I'm near the sea it's uh, very deeply rooted in my being I think and uh, when I saw how much plastic there was washed ashore I thought okay this is something I need to raise awareness for and I need to tell people to stop polluting the ocean but I didn't want to 
bring that message in a negative way. I wanted to show the beauty and the potential and why we have to take better care of the ocean. And that's when I, uh, yeah, I thought about seaweed because seaweed is such a sustainable material that's not so often used yet. So I thought, yeah, we need to see this potential and, and this could be a metaphor for why we have to take better care of the oceans. And did you know much about seaweed before you began your research into seaweed or were you starting from scratch totally? Yes. <laughs> so so how did you start your research? Was it just through reading books, talking to people, blog articles? Yes, yeah, uh, reading a lot and um, but also going to the beach and uh, trying to collect as many different types of seaweed as possible and then uh, at some point really work hands on seeing what I can do with it. But before I wanted to know more about it, of course, and then that's basically reading and talking to people and experts, yeah. And when, and when you're researching a material like seaweed or another material, how much of it is, is research done by reading books and talking to people? And how much of it is hands-on where you're really learning how this material feels, what it's made of, and all the other aspects that come when you're working hands-on with a material? How do you divide your time between those sections of research? Well, it depends a bit per project, but uh, in general, I always start with reading. Uh, and when I think I've read enough uh, to uh, develop the concept, I, I start doing some experiments and hands-on work. Uh, but then quite often I have to go back to <laughs> reading at some point. But yeah, it depends. It depends per project. And I was reading, as I was doing research for this interview, I've read when you first started your studio, you thought you wanted to be a designer and you mentioned that you wanted to be a product designer. But over time, the story of each project has become more important to you and you feel that's more like being an artist. And now in 2021, do you view yourself more as an, <laughs> more of an artist or a designer or you merged the two strands and would you rather someone refer to you as an artist or a designer? Yeah, I still think I'm both. I think it starts with being an artist and creating the story. And then I think it's for me very important that it doesn't stop at the, you know, the museum piece or the one of a kind object, but that it's further developed. And then I think you need to become a designer, either a material designer or a product designer, but that's more designing because it has more an application that you need to think about then. Uh, I always start my projects not really thinking about the application too much, but really about the story that I want to tell. So yeah, I, I think I'm both. <laughs> okay, so the story the story comes first and then you think about the application. Yes. And, and what makes a, a good story to you? What makes it a story that you'd really start a project with? I think it's uh, very personal. It's how I'm, I think it's very often, you know, how I, I'm shocked by the sustainability issues or chemicals that are used or how unhealthy something is uh, for our life or the environment or something that I think about. How is it possible that this is happening? And uh, why are we not doing something about it? And then I think, okay, I need to do something about it. And then I do it. <laughs> and as you're carrying out these projects, and maybe when you come to an end of a, a certain project, what makes, say, a successful project to you? How, would you, how do you gauge the success of one of your projects? Um, well, my goal is always to raise awareness or to change something. Um, 
to find more transparency. I, I really enjoy when I'm presenting a, a new project on, on the Dutch Design Week, for example, and I'm explaining it to people. And then you really see when they get it. At some point, you see something changing in their eyes and they're like, aha, they have this sort of aha moment. That's when I think, okay, now I really changed something in a thought pattern of someone. And that's really important to me. So then I think it's successful for me but in the end yeah for the seaweed for example uh i think it's a success when we're all wearing seaweed uh, t-shirts <laughs> like i said before it's not stopping with the with the museum piece but it's really something we are we have uh, absorbed into our daily life and and over time as you've been working on all of these projects and your process for researching has your process evolved over the years a lot and especially when it comes to obviously every week, every day, you're learning more and more about sustainability and, and how to live a waste-free life. And so as you've learned more about this side of things, has your creative process evolved over the years to make it as, as sustainable as possible? And if so, what are the kind of the practices that you've incorporated that help you to do that? Yeah, well, it got a lot more complicated because the more you know, <laughs> the more you have to take into consideration. Um, because first I thought, okay, uh, when I recycle, uh, it's already sustainable. But the more I learned about it, it's not that simple. It's not like recycling is just recycling is the answer. So I think, um, maybe for the last two years, I, um, I'm really realizing that the approach we need to have towards sustainability is a holistic vision. So you need to consider all the aspects around one topic product or material because otherwise you can have a positive impact on one aspect but maybe it has a negative effect on another aspect and i think that's also one of the issues that we have at the moment with sustainability is that not enough people are embracing this holistic vision it's uh, too easy to say i've recycled now it's sustainable or i you know it's bio-based so it's sustainable it's not that simple. We really need to have this broader perspective. How waste-free would you say your creative process and practices now? Yeah, I'm not sure if waste-free is my goal. It's more to, to consider as many aspects as possible. So if I have a little bit of waste somewhere, it can be okay. But if I have thought about it. So at the moment, we are working on a project that uh, researches value and um we are making two carpets uh, out of wool, uh, one in the Netherlands and one in Armenia. And they're both made by hand, but with different techniques. But we're following the whole process, well, everything until the finished product. And on the Dutch Design this, this year, we will have this sort of interactive installation with the audience to ask them, what creates the value for you? Is it that it's produced local or is if it's because the sheep were uh, uh, in the mountains or if it's a social workshop or, you know, all these uh, things, uh, we, we are completely transparent about the process and we ask people these questions and we try to have this holistic perspective there, but also to talk to people about this and then the waste, it's just a part of this whole process. Are there any aspects of this holistic process that is the most difficult to achieve? Are there any, any parts of this process that time and time again crop up and that they're the most difficult to, to really create in a, in a sustainable way? Yeah, I think transparency, it's really difficult to, uh, to achieve because people and companies are very protective of what they're doing because it's their you know, skill or their recipe or their 
yeah unique uh, selling point and the pricing of course like how much are you profiting it's not something people are very open to uh, to discuss but i think that's the old economy and we need to change to the new <laughs> new economy where it's more normal to be transparent about things like this but the transparency it's in every every step of this holistic process so but in general i would say that that's the most challenging and moving on to some of the projects that you've you've done, you've, you've done so many. So there's so many that we could talk about. So I've written down, of course, See Me and, and Re-See Me. So maybe that's a good place to start because you've worked with seaweed so much and you've written a book or two about seaweed. So once by the and how these projects unfold? Yeah, as I already mentioned, it started on the beach here in, in The Hague. And then with me trying to find as many different types of seaweed as possible and then developing uh, dyes uh, from them. And when I was working with that, um, I thought, okay, this can be a whole circular process. There's only one part of the seaweed you need for the yarn, then the other parts you can use for the dye, and then you end up without any waste. And well, it, it can be a very... Uh, a very holistic process actually but it's already it's already going on for seven years and the the step from moving to um, yeah the more crafts or the small scale to the industrial scale because that's really our ambition it's quite challenging uh, to to know uh, yeah it's not a it's not a creative thing it's really a business uh, you need to become a business with um, yeah all these new aspects that <laughs> Uh, like a market positioning at the moment are you doing research into marketing and business at the moment and instead of researching seaweed <laughs> yeah at the moment well the research on the on, on the seaweed it's still ongoing but i'm very happy to have partners for this project now so um there's a business partner and there's a scientific partner and yeah there are more people involved also uh, companies and uh, yeah so my role in that company it's more the creative uh, director but uh, yeah uh, other people are working on uh, upscaling the, the science and um, yeah but it's all based on what I started and for listeners who who don't know what see me and re-see me is how would you describe the project to, to listeners in your own words uh, well see me it's a carpet uh, made from yarn that is made from seaweed uh, and it's knotted by hand in a discarded fishing net it's not that big, <laughs> but it is very soft and very fluffy. <laughs> and um, uh, Re-See-Me was the continuation of the Simi project because I thought there must be more materials from the ocean that we can use that are very sustainable. And then I discovered Fishkin as a waste product. And uh, yeah, especially in the Netherlands, we don't like to eat uh, the skin of the fish. I know in some other countries it's different, but here it's a it's a waste product. Yeah, you can tan the uh, the, the skin into a beautiful leather uh, without using uh, chemicals. The leather has really great great qualities. Um, it's basically like normal leather. So I made another carpet, a uh, very conceptual carpet, and then also a small stool where the seating is uh, made from salmon skin. And it, that was to show how strong the leather can be because it's very thin, but you can really sit on it because the fish leather, the fish have a different type of connective tissue uh, that makes it stronger than regular leather. So I wanted to emphasize that in the design. 
So in some ways, it's even better than regular leather. Yes, in some ways, it's also not because it's much smaller. So it's more difficult to create large uh, pieces of it. Um, but the strength is definitely uh, a benefit. Yeah. And I think the beauty because it's uh, the patterns of the fish can be amazing. And, and how did you source the skin exactly? We have here in The Hague, you have the port or you have a small port where the fishing uh, boats come uh, and there's the fish auction um, and they process all the fish there as well before it goes to the auction um, and they have they have containers full of skin uh, and that normally goes to uh, to be burned. Uh, but yeah, I just went there and I said, can I have please? Can I have a few skins? And, uh, they thought I was crazy, but <laughs> it's, uh, they they were happy to uh, to collaborate on this. And how did you know that salmon skin can create a a good leather? Was it is this something that's a, quite a traditional material that's been used in previous civilizations, or is this something that you thought could be a, a possibility? No, it has been used for centuries uh, by lots of different cultures and. Uh, well, I actually knew because I saw in Italy once when I was on a holiday, I saw very fancy shoes made from <laughs> fish uh, skin, uh, but that was um, stingray. So that's not really a normal fish skin. It's a bit more difficult to tan, uh, but that, that sparked the idea sort of. And then I uh, found someone who was specialized in uh, techniques from the um, medieval times, uh, and he knew how to make this fish, fish leather in a sustainable way. Um, so he taught me and then I, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very easy technique. It's also, I made a book about it to, to teach people how to do it themselves because it's, yeah, you can do it at home and it's very cool. I think to, uh, to be able to make your own fish leather. So. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds really interesting. And I'm also interested here a bit more about Herb's Quilt and that project. And I, I watched a video as well where you were talking about the problems and the toxins and different clothes that we use. And this was the basis for, for the project. Is that true? And also for listeners, what exactly is this project to you? Well, I start f- first with describing what it looks like, <laughs> but it's a quilt. So um, it's dyed with rosemary and sage and then uh, embroidered by hand uh, with yarns that are also dyed with different herbs with medicinal effects like uh, chamomile and sage and uh, rosemary for this one as well. But it started actually also a bit with the seaweed uh, project because of all my research I was doing on sustainable dyes. I noticed how much really the dyeing of textiles, it's a super, super polluting industry and it causes huge environmental problems, but also for the workers because there are so many chemicals that are used and people get cancer or yeah, they even die or there are many uh, hormone problems. And I thought it's quite strange that you read about this, uh, but you don't read about the impact. Well, are these chemicals still in our clothes? Because yeah, I had never thought about it. That maybe is it. It's quite strange that somehow it's gone when you buy it in the shop. I, yeah, I thought maybe that's not true. So I I started to research that, and actually Greenpeace did a really huge uh, research on that um, a few years ago, and they discovered that a lot of the clothes we buy still contain way too high amounts of chemicals, and your skin has an has the ability to absorb. So that means that when you have these chemicals on your clothes, your skin can absorb them and they can influence your health. So, yeah, some of these chemicals are cancerous or they can cause, uh, they can be hormone disruptors or, yeah, it's 
quite dangerous. But then I thought if your skin has the ability to absorb these negative substances, it also has the ability to absorb the positive substances, maybe from plant-based dyes. And that's what I started researching with, yeah, herbs that are often used in, in alternative medicine um, or that have been used throughout history for, for medication. And I dyed them and then I had them uh, researched in a laboratory to see if the like the working substances from the herb are transferred onto the textile through the dyeing process. And that actually works like that. So um, yeah, then it means your skin can absorb these uh, substances as well. And do you wear some of the clothes, I guess, you've you made yourself that you've dyed with these very positively beneficial herbs? Yes. And uh, I also wanted to let other people experience it. So that's why I did an installation uh, with uh, 1,000 uh, discarded t-shirts. And then we had three different dye buffs with three different herbs. And people could select the herb that would benefit their health the most. And then we dye it for them for free and they could take it home to sort of experience, um, yeah, how they would feel. <laughs> I'm actually quite jealous because I, I, I want some clothes with positive dyes in them so I can absorb <laughs> good stuff whilst I just live. <laughs> <laughs> and um i'm also i'm really interested here about morn just reading a little bit about it i was really interested in this project because i've never really heard about this issue before yeah well morn was a collaboration with the dutch water authorities um that's the part of the government that's responsible for the cleaning of the the water but um yeah they also do some other things uh, but they are really working on becoming circular and sustainable. Uh, so the whole wastewater treatment process, they they do it naturally. So they work a lot with bacteria. And uh, one of these bacteria can actually create a bioplastic called PHA, um, polyhydroxyalkanoate. And um, it's a biodegradable material. So they asked me to create an object uh, or a product with this. And it was a bit of a challenge at first because I thought, yeah, I'm a designer. I want my products to last for a very long time. Um, but this is a biodegradable material. So, so what do we want to, you know, what do we need to uh, give back to nature? And then I thought about the human body after we die. Then I started researching the sustainability around burials and cremations. And I noticed that in the Netherlands, I think there are also a lot of other countries where this is an issue, but there's a lot of uh, soil and groundwater pollution around graveyards and um, ash uh, scattering fields because there are just too many nutritions and toxins from the ashes or from the bodies uh, in the soil. And then it runs into the groundwater and yeah, the pollution spreads. And the reason that there is this problem that the soil cannot absorb all these toxins because they are released too quickly. And um, then I thought, okay, if I mix the ashes with this biomaterial, uh, then it will break down slowly. And this way also the, the nutrients and the toxins in the ashes will release slowly to the soil. And then you prevent this groundwater and soil pollution it's a beautiful material that you can keep inside for as long as you want. But when you place it outside, it will slowly start to degrade. And uh, so it's also, yeah, your mourning process can be much more personal because you can take your time. You can also see the urn slowly uh, <laughs> dissolve. And how long did a, a project like this take from, from start to finish? Well, this one was very quick. I think maybe uh, six months. Oh, really? <laughs> and do you normally work on 
projects simultaneously or do you focus on, on one project at a time? No, there are always a lot of projects going on at the same uh, moment. I think at the moment there are maybe 10 or something. <laughs> and I'm also, of course, interested here about, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, Wotterschatten. And I feel like what just reading about this, was this project slightly linked to, to Morn or, or vice versa? Yeah, I worked with the water authorities for three years in a row with the different materials that they can reclaim from the wastewater. And uh, one of the other materials, it's toilet paper. <laughs> so they use different types of uh, sieves to take out, um, well, first the big garbage and then smaller and smaller. And then at some point, they only have the cellulose fiber from the toilet paper um, and they take it out of the water and then it's cleaned. And then, yeah, it's a very usable material again. It's paper. It's still paper. It's a, a pulp. And that's uh, uh, what I used. But of course, yeah, it's a very strange material to reuse. Um, I think it's maybe one of the most uh, difficult uh, materials to accept when it comes down to recycling. So I wanted to show people the beauty of this material and also to try to take away the fear of using materials like this. So I made a really big table, lights and some bowls as this sort of mini collection of what our homes in the future maybe look like uh, when we start using uh, materials like this. And, and another of your projects, I don't know how to pronounce it either, Kamera Kimono? Kamera Kimono, yeah. Yeah, so I'm interested here a bit more about this. And, and like Vorteschatten, I thought this, this project was slightly linked to Herb's quilt. Uh, yes, it is. This, but this was also um, a collaboration still with the water authorities um, because they developed this new material called Camera. And um, it's also yeah what they can create out of the bacteria that clean the wastewater. So it's a sort of a site or a byproduct of this whole water treatment process. And it's a completely new material. So it was very fun to work with it because scientists were working simultaneously at discovering new properties. Uh, and me as an artist, I had a very different approach. <laughs> uh, but I discovered that it could be, when you apply it on the fabric, it makes the textile absorb the water much easier. Um, and when you have a dyeing process, that means that the dye gets absorbed much easier as well. Um, so you need less water for the whole dyeing process. So uh, it's sort of the pre-treatment before dyeing. I used the camera and then I thought, okay, it would be really cool if I can also find dyes from the wastewater. And I did. Um, one of them is Anamox. It's also a bacteria that creates this color. Uh, and the other one, it's Fifionite, and that's a mineral that's reclaimed from the wastewater. And the Fifionite, it's the blue color, and the Anamox, it's the little bit uh, peach, peachy color. So yeah, I tried to make this whole sustainable dyeing process for textiles with materials from wastewater. Is this wastewater and some of the other materials used in these projects, how, how feasible is it for these materials to be used on a, a larger mass scale? Well, very feasible, actually, because um, we have so much wastewater <laughs> in just the Netherlands alone. Um, and uh, the water authorities are working very hard on on upscaling these uh, all these materials so there is already a camera factory uh, and they are uh, they're, yeah they're working on different industrial applications um, not just well I don't think maybe textiles but uh, there are many other applications for for all these materials 
in one of the talks that you did or in my research, you said about seaweed, that seaweed can grow maybe 30 centimeters a day and there's no reason why we shouldn't use seaweed on a, on a mass scale. So is it is it, for example, with a material like seaweed, would we be able to create seaweed farms very easily and then use it on a, on a huge mass scale and there's nothing really stopping us at all? to do that yeah there are many people working on this and there are uh, more and more uh, seaweed farms and uh, in the netherlands we have one uh, they're starting one now in front of the hague in the sea but it's it also has challenges of course to uh to know to work with the wind and the, the waves and your whole uh, your whole system needs to be quite strong and um, how do you harvest but what i really enjoy about this whole seaweed community is that everybody who's working with seaweed is doing it because they believe in the sustainable value and they are uh, very idealistic persons all of them and yeah that's why i think when we start with seaweed farming it won't become like this problem we have now <laughs> on land but people will be more conscious yeah, it can be really a sustainable solution, I think. And and with all of this um, interest in all of these different materials, and, and as you, over the years, you've uncovered so many interesting materials, are there any new materials that you've maybe come across quite recently that you're really excited by or, or really interested in, in researching more? Uh, well, at the moment, I'm, I'm working a lot on continuing the development of the projects I did uh, so far. So the seaweed, I'm really into an industrial scale and the uh, um, we recently got a new studio where we also have a garden. So we're going to grow our own herbs and uh, do more research on their uh, health benefits, but also on the colors they can give as a dye. So yeah, there are, there's a lot going on, but not, not yeah, it's more on the development than on new uh, research at the moment. And um, when you're doing, when you're working on these projects, and as you said, the, the story is really important to you, and it's a constant process of, of researching and, and learning more. When does the idea for the execution come into your mind? And how do you choose how to execute the project with the materials you use? That's a good question. I think I try to, yeah, I first develop the story and then I try to think how I can share this story in the best way possible. So uh, place myself a lot of times in the shoes of a visitor or audience to what do I need to understand this topic or how do I need, what do I need to be able to relate to it? And that's often how it comes into being, I think. So in your in your mind, when you're picturing maybe a visitor, are you picturing just a, a normal person and how they, they will interact with one of your products or one of your objects that you create? Is that kind of your target audience in a way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think everybody needs to be able to understand it. So it needs to be very logical, very simple. Um, you need to understand it quite quickly. But at the same time, you need to feel some attraction to it and uh, like the aesthetic because that's, I, I think, also a way to relate to it or feel some emotion that will bind you to this topic. So, yeah. And is, is there any advice in particular you, you might give to a young designer at art school or, or design school or even just creatives that are just looking to create more sustainably driven work? Is there any advice you'd give to them maybe any pointers at all i think the very most important thing is to follow your heart so uh, you need to work on a topic that's 
yeah, that's quite personal or you feel like you, you feel connected to somehow. It doesn't really matter why or how, but you need to be able to stand for it. Yeah, I don't know how to say it in English, sorry. <laughs> well, the, the, maybe the, the passion to continue working on it, that can drive you forward. Yeah, yeah. You need a lot of persistence to work in this field. Have there been any, aside from maybe the specific books and resources you use to do research on each niche project have there been any books in general or any resources that have helped you in in general do the sort of work that you do no not really <laughs> that maybe sounds weird but uh... i'm surprised yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh no it's because for every project the research is so different uh, some you know some some days i'm talking to this guy at the fish <laughs> fish uh, auction and the next day i'm at the water treatment facility and everybody has their own approach to sustainability or and i think it's seeing all these different perspectives and reading from all these different perspectives that helps me to create my own vision or perspective and i'm i don't really enjoy reading from about this from other people because i feel like it will influence maybe too much and I cannot I, I need to stay true to my own core <laughs> and you mentioned that you're continuing to work on the the projects that you that you have and are there any projects that you are dream projects to to do in the future or you're focused on just continuing and growing what you've already started yeah I think that would be my dream to to be able to have all these well if I I can be the creative mind or the yeah, the the concept developer and other people <laughs> help me to develop it further into uh, into business and to into upscaling like we're doing now with the seaweed, so that it doesn't stop at the studio, but it's really implemented in many different uh, industries. Or you know, people can buy it and they yeah, it becomes part of our system. I, that would be my dream. And I wish we could have kind of dug deeper into each project and stuff like that, but I'm I'm wary of your time. And if we were to do that, then this call would be about 10 hours long. So <laughs> are there any, is there anything I've missed? Anything I should have asked or any last words you'd like to, to say to, to listeners before we wrap up? I hope that the listeners will maybe uh, think about their own passion or their own ideals to be able to keep up uh, becoming more sustainable uh, because it's super difficult to change your behavior but if you're doing it with things that are close to your heart I think it's more easy well I don't have any more questions off the top of my head but I'd like to say thank you for your time it's been really interesting learning more about all of these projects and honestly I'm really some of the projects you work on they're so interesting and I'm really interested to see where they go and I hope they continue to to grow thank you so much it was really nice to uh, to talk to you and I'm very happy um, you invited me so thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode of Green Canvas in two weeks we'll be back with the next episode in the meantime, if you think this is a podcast a friend of yours will enjoy, we would love for you to share it with them or leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us know what you think and others to find the show. And feel free to get in touch with us anytime at hello at greencanvaspodcast.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on the episode or any recommendations and questions you may have for future guests. Thank you again, and I hope you have a great day.